Guys, you chose a good one to listen to. It's going to be a two-for-one show today because there's so many great things. I don't even know if I'd say great. There's a lot of big things going on out there in the world we live in that we wanted to go ahead and cover multiple topics today. The the first one we're going to be covering today is how to survive and prosper from this year's election. Doesn't matter if you're a Republican, doesn't matter if you're a Democrat, Green Party, Libertarian, don't worry. This is not a bash session. This is more to talk about the financial side of this election year and what that means to you and how to survive it. And then the second thing is the Affordable Care Act. Starting November 1st, you could start enrolling in the three-month window to get onto the exchanges to if you need to get family or individual insurance. We're going to talk to you about how it can be the bridge to early retirement, but you need to be prepared. So if you need to know how to survive enrolling into the Affordable Care Act, we're your source. All that and more on today's Money Guy show. It's Brian Preston, the Money Guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions, he's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the Money Guy. I think because it's a two-for-one show, Bo let me know while we were running through the intro. <laughs> he said... Why are you talking so fast? You, you are really and I, excited. And I think it's one of those things. It, it's it, I feel the pressure of getting through all this show talk, uh, both of these show topics, because we really do have two podcasts that we're doing in one, Bo. It's one of those things where we took it and it's like a trash compactor. We kind of put them both in and now we're squeezing it all together. So I guess I talked really fast during no, the you, intro because You guys that. heard that right. He did compare today's show <laughs> to a trash compactor. You, you heard that Oh, right. okay. I'm going to pull this thing out of the ditch, hopefully. Now, this is the Money Guy Show. I'm your host, Brian Preston, sitting across from my co-host, Mr. Bo Hansen, broadcasting from Franklin, Tennessee, you know, right outside of Nashville, Tennessee. And um, if you want to go check us out, moneyguy.com, you can write the show directly. I'm Brian, B-R-I-N, at moneyguy.com. My co-host is Bo, B-O, at moneyguy.com. And we love it when our listeners take the relationship to the next level. So we work with clients now in 33 states or 34? 33 right now. 33 states. If you want to be part of that or if you want to go check out the map, go to moneyguy.com and you can see which states we actually work with people. If um, you notice we already work with people in your state, you'll know, hey, look, we got friends and neighbors that are already part of the family. If you notice there's not a, a client currently in that state, you could be the first one. You could help us pioneer new areas of the country. Love to have you take the relationship to the next level. So go check it out. The other thing you can do, if you go to moneyguy.com, it tells you how to connect with the other social media aspects of our show, whether it's Twitter, Facebook, please go out there and um, just become part of the family. We've got great behind the scenes stuff going on with Lisa, our content manager. And um, we're going to make sure we want to keep those um, action items where you are signing up, where you are leaving us iTunes reviews. We need that stuff to keep ourselves relevant and um, even give us your email address. We don't use it for any exploitive purposes other than we want to make sure we stay connected with you at all times. So with all that said, Bo, we have a lot going on. You know, there's an, an election. I don't know if you guys realize it. Is there, is there one of those happening right now? Um, I heard a rumor there was an election next Tuesday. Oh, I, I had not seen that. So a lot of people are probably trying to figure out, well, what are we going to do? And I'm not going to be able to answer that. That's That's for you as an individual to figure out where you fall in the whole political spectrum. This is not that type of show. This is the Money Guy show. We don't talk about politics. We talk about what does this do to your back pocket? What does this do for what you can expect 
from your 401k, from your retirement accounts, from your savings accounts. How is this all going to be impacted? And I kind of wanted to, to really talk about this because it's an interesting affair this year. I know, and now I have moved to a new state, uh, but I think we had visited this state in 2012, Bo, uh, you know, just going around looking at some things because we had some client activities and other things going on in Nashville. And I remember seeing a lot more political signs in 2012. Don't you remember seeing a lot of presidential signs? Yeah, I think I think that's a pretty accurate assessment. So you ride around town, and it might be the same way in your hometown now, too. You don't see a lot of presidential signs. I think this is going to be a secretive affair this year where everybody's going to go do their 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 citizen duty and vote. I said duty, but they're going to go do their civic responsibility and um, and vote. But it's not something that everybody's talking about. But what we can talk about is really what does this mean? And the first question I'd ask myself was, do the financial markets care who wins? Bo, do you think, I mean, you've heard, do you have any anecdotal things or thoughts? I mean, I think uh, if you've paid attention to any financial media or really any news media at all over the past, I don't know, six to eight months, You'd probably make the argument that, oh, yeah, financial markets care. Everyone seems to say that if so-and-so is elected, it's going to be awful, or if the other so-and-so is elected, it's going to be even worse. So it appears from the financial media's take that, yeah, uh, this election affects our investment portfolio. But remember, everything in the financial media, not to pick too much fun at those guys because we like to be friendly with them to a degree, but they look at everything through a a glass half empty type lens because that's what helps sell advertising. Remember that we know that that is how, what, what really sells the advertisements. That's what keeps the eyeballs on the screen, on the eyeballs on the paper, whatever they need to keep things rocking and rolling. But here's the good news, Bo. 82% of the time, the S&P 500 is actually positive in election years. Huh. So, you know, what's funny is I say that, and that seems like it's something super exciting. What do we find when we do um, a lot of stuff with our clients is that 80% of the time, usually financial markets are making money. Because there's, if you think about it, there's really two years out of every decade that you have recessions and downturns. So it makes sense that you have a lot of the same activity going on in election years. But here's the other thing. If you're trying to figure out Republicans, Democrats, which ones do the markets you know, favor so that I can go read the tea leaves and, and make sure I've got this figured out. Vanguard actually did some research on that. They went all the way back to 1853. And I think that's, they said the U.S. equity markets. They didn't say the S&P 500 because they went all the way back to 1853. Sure. But from their research, they have, while you have Democrats in the White House or Republicans in the White House, this is not talking about Congress or anything else, but Democrats... In the White House, the market averages 10.7% per year. It's pretty strong. Going back to to, to 1853. Republicans in the White House, 10.5. That that, that doesn't sound a whole lot different. It's a rounding error. That's a rounding error. There's no reason. (laughs) You think about it. No reason to go make some material change for something historically that is a rounding error. So I I think the biggest thing I thought when I read these statistical numbers here was that 160 years, the S&P 500 averaged 10%. That sounds pretty fantastic. You know, I, I know we have not been averaging that recently, but um, that's pretty incredible over the long term. So maybe maybe we'll get some, continue the, the innovation that is rocking our world and making the world an easier place to live. Maybe we'll continue to, to see positive things like that. Here's the other thing I had written down is don't let your political fears create a financial blind spot that causes you to make long-term mistakes. Guys, I am surprised at how many people, and I, and I know it's partially it is the, the media's fault too, is because they've got us feeling like the sky's going to fall no matter 
which candidate is elected. And I just, I don't know that I believe that it is that dire of a situation like the media's framed this situation. But what I can do, what I can tell you is I think if you have short-term issues, don't let your political blind spots, because we all have biases or things that are built into us that you don't even realize. I think it's just something that subliminally is going on behind the scenes. The best thing you can do is protect yourself, is understand what's short-term, what's long-term, and 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 Analytical terms, a presidential election is a short-term cycle on a first term because it's four years. Right. They get two terms. It's eight years, so that, that bleeds into a long-term type decision. But all in all, the first year of a president, we're getting a brand-new new president. The first term is a short-term experience, so don't make a long-term mistake on a short-term type thing. Now, I recognize they have lasting impacts with their tax policies, international policies, and so forth. We're not getting into that. But I think if I was you and you want to kind of insulate yourself, if you have anything that's going to occur in the next three to four years, those are sh- that's short-term assets. You should be keeping that money in cash, saving CDs, right. stuff that's very, very liquid and easy to get to. You, you For long-term assets that you don't need for at least five, seven, ten years, keep that stuff in a risk-adjusted, diversified portfolio, and that will help you protect yourself from these political blind spots that, that we all, you know, suffer under to some degree or another. Here's the other thing. Have a financial plan that helps protect you from the scenario you fear. All this negativity also really shows your insecurities. And a lot of, and here's the key things that I recognize. Do you have any control besides your vote, your one vote? Do you have control what actually happens? You know, and, and as I've shared with you, it's not the canary in the coal mine by any degree. If you look at it from a historical perspective of whether a Democrat gets in office or a Republican in the White House, they don't have a statistical huge difference. You know, what really moves the needle, if you want to know what's going on economically, is much more macro activity outside of just a presidential election. You know, financial markets are um, really impacted by technology and innovation. They're impacted by changes in the money supply through the Federal Reserve, large-scale events like natural disasters, wars. Those are type of things. And you notice all those things, unless you're inventing the next Apple product, the next Google, or the next self-driving car like Tesla, you know, you probably cannot control some of the things that you are freaking out and you're insecure and worried about. So what I always advise clients as well as our listeners is let's try to focus on things that you actually can control. These are the fears that can help you sleep better at night and prepare for any contingency that could come your way from an election or any other thing that you just want to make sure you're prepared for. So here's the, here's some some risk, fears, and things that you can plan for. Worried about losing your job. If you're worried about losing your job, make sure you have cash reserves, three to six months. If you're trying to figure out three months, six months, which one do I need? Lean towards how long you think that you will it will take you to get a job to replace that income. And however long that is, that's how long of living expenses you'll need to have. So you need to figure out what you're spending on a monthly basis and ensuring you, you have enough money in the bank to get you through that scary patch. If you look at, if you're worried about what would happen if you couldn't provide for your family? What would cause situations that you couldn't provide for your family? There's two. One that a lot of people don't pay a lot of attention to, which they should, disability insurance. Mm-hmm. Bo, I mean, we've talked about it. 
Aren't you much more likely to become disabled than even die? Yeah, I think statistically, when you go look at the uh, claims, you are much high. There's a much higher statistical probability that you will have some period of disability, whether it be a short-term or long-term disability, over a premature death. Meaning, more people suffer from that than life uh, than uh, premature death. What's interesting though is when we talk to clients and when we review potential clients' financial situations. More often than not, we find that clients are much more underinsured from a disability standpoint than they are from a life insurance standpoint. Now, before you panic and worry, oh my goodness, what does this go cost and how do I replace my income? Usually, you only need to buy approximately 60% of your income through disability. And the reason is, is because if you structure it correctly, pay your premium payments with after-tax payments, meaning that it's not you're not getting a deduction for those payments, any benefits you get if you ever do become disabled will be completely tax-free. So that's why it's 60%. It's much more powerful because it is going to be tax-free money that you will receive as long as you're, you're suffering from the disability. And then, of course, life insurance. If you really are worried, if you're, in the, if you're a younger person or you have some debts or you have children and you want to make sure some of these life goals like education, paying off the mortgage, as well as just providing for your spouse or significant other if you're not here, you know, what you can do, term life insurance. What I like about term life insurance is that as you get older, hopefully you're saving diligently behind the scenes. And then when you reach financial independence, in independence age, you know, 55, 60, 65 years old, hopefully you've built up your nice army of dollar bills that are working for you. You don't need the insurance as much because now if you leave this earth, you've hopefully got an, that army of dollar bills that will replace your income. But while you're younger, you've got debt, you've got, you know, you haven't had enough time to build up that army of dollar bills. You can go buy term life insurance to, to cover those needs. I always tell people when they ask me, do I need a 10-year term, 15-year term, 20-year term? Well, how far are you from building financial independence? You know, if you're somebody who's 40 years old and you think you're going to retire at, at 60 and you've got children that are four or five years old, 20-year term probably is going to be perfect because hopefully by the time that 20-year term period, you know, comes through, you will have all the kids out of college and you'll hopefully have enough money in the bank that you don't need to live off of. So if that just disappears, it's okay. I like level term also because it, you're just paying for the insurance and it's level for the term of the policy. Now, year 21 gets really expensive. That's why it goes away. Now, without getting too far off topic, I feel like it's probably important to mention, since you did bring up term insurance as the type of life insurance, are all disability insurance policies created the same, Brian? No. I, I mean, disability policies, here's the thing, guys. It's like most things. And because and I, 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 I'm not against the way insurance products are sold completely, but it is times that they they get much more sophisticated and complicated sometimes than what's required. Yeah, the thing I would recommend that you need to focus on is there is some language in disability policies that you need to pay attention to. Your occupation or own OCK or any OCK. And what they mean, those are, OCK is obviously short for occupation, is if you're, you know, they, they're very specific. If you have a job that, you know, you want to be paid what you're worth, but you only can do that job, that's an own OCK. That's much more limiting. It's going to be somewhat more expensive, but you can ask for that when you're going through the underwriting process. And I would encourage you, if you are in a very specialized thing, it's important to, to make sure at least one of your disability policies is an own OCK type thing, because what you don't want to have happen is that you need to receive benefits, but you find out you have an any OCK 
where they expect that you can go be a, a, a school teacher or work in some other job. And yes, you're not making as much as you were. And it's just because the, the disability policy wasn't structured the same. Was there, I, I don't know if that answered the question, no, but I mean, it's it, I just, I know there's different levels with it. Yeah. It's just, it's uh, uh, you hit that spot on. I think it's important to make sure that if your concern is that something were to happen to you and you can no longer provide the standard of living for your family that you've provided thus far, you want to make sure that when you go out and buy insurance and you go out and think about getting disability, you have one that does adequately protect against that risk. Not one that you think protects, but but in fact maybe isn't the right definition for your situation. And then before we move on to the next point on life insurance, you know, 10 times your your earnings is pretty good. And um, something that surprises people when we talk to them is that if we have a, a, a spouse that stays at home and helping out with the family and so forth. Um, people say, well, I don't need insurance on them. I think you do. You know, we typically recommend 250000 to 500000 depending upon how much money you are making the working spouse. Because realize, if, if you, your spouse left this earth and they're helping out with, with the children and so forth, you're going to be out of commission for a while. So you're going to need to make sure you have resources to cover that lost income while you're trying to recover as well as just get a hold of your life. So make sure you're, you're also putting value to, to that spouse that's contributing to the household. Um, it's funny when we talk to, to prospects, clients, say somebody who's in their mid thirties, they're shocked to find out, especially for, for females, you know, you can get somebody in their mid thirties, get them 250 to $500,000 of insurance for a few hundred bucks a yep. year. I mean, it's, it's really not really expensive. Cheap. So the, the, the cost to benefit is, is way over the top. So make sure you, you're not just pushing that aside to the future because there's nothing sadder than, um, having somebody pass away unexpectedly and they didn't plan ahead for that. Um, another worry and a fear and an insecurity people have, especially during election years, is worried about the volatility of the financial markets. We've already filled some phone calls, Bo, yep. from some, from clients who are just nervous about this type of stuff. I always say, look, we have a perfect case study of why you need to be careful of letting these short-term volatile experiences shade and shape how you look at the financial markets. Brexit. Does everybody oh, yeah. remember Brexit? Do you remember? That was only a few months ago. It was back in June. It was actually, I've got it right here. June 23rd, 2016 was the Brexit vote. If you remember, the sky was falling according to the financial as well as the basic media too. Yep. I mean, they, they would make you think that, oh my goodness, the wheels are completely coming off. And the S&P 500, even though the Brexit was a, a vote over in Great Britain, you know, it, the S&P 500 lost 5.3% in two days following the Brexit vote. Bo, how long did it take for it to recover? Uh, I want to say it was like just less than a week, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was a little, 10 days. 10 it, was, days. it was a little over a, a week, so it was week. 10 days. But here's what I think is interesting. You close out the quarter, June, you know, we come fast forward to, to June, I mean, to September 30th, close out the third quarter. We were up 8.3% from those Brexit lows that occurred at the end of June. So that's 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 a pretty strong recovery that occurred. So if you'd have made a short-term decision... That impact you would have impacted your long term performance. So that's why you know count on and have trust in that risk adjusted diversified portfolio, and don't let your emotions cause you to do something really kind of ridiculous. Um, you know all this, and I want to transition over to the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare next. Is it? I, I had written down many of the fears we all face from highly contested elections can be mitigated if we make sure our financial house is in order and we're protected no matter what scenario we face, guys. Do you notice a common theme in a lot of our podcasts? Planning, planning, planning. 
So if you can focus on that, I think it makes a big deal. And you're going to notice that trend carries on as we now shift focus over to the Affordable Care Act. Now, Affordable Care Act, here's the thing. This is an audible. Lisa, when she gets this, our content manager gets this, she goes, oh my goodness, what these guys, guys about? are freaking calling an audible again. I cannot help myself. We have a, a content manager that helps us keep our editorial calendar in line now. But you guys, we've been doing this over a decade. It is so hard for me to break habits is that when life happens, I just feel inspired to start writing. Bo knows. I mean, we just start creating content. And I think, Lisa, we say this with our, our tongue firmly pushed to the cheek uh, of, of our mouth. And the fact that we know that this is just what the way it rolls with us. I mean, I think once you're inspired and you feel like something's going on in pop culture as well as life culture in the macro world right now, you have to focus on it. And there's a lot of people... This is why we did, we decided to write up some show notes on this is that we live in Nashville, Tennessee. And a lot of you, you know, if you're, if you're not aware, we're one of those markets where a lot of things have occurred as uh, tied into the Affordable Care Act. Yep. Um, Blue Cross Blue Shield was one of the major providers. Um, they basically a few months ago said, see you, we're out of here. It was a nice and, little and dear John. Letter. I think Aetna had done it six months before them or approximately six months, somewhere around there. So um, a lot of insurance companies have left the state or the Nashville area. I shouldn't say they've left the state because they're still in Tennessee. They just left the Nashville area. And, and they said it's because they've had a lot of losses. Well, that obviously has sent some some shutters through the system. So um, we're on individual plans. We found out that there's no private insurers now offering off-exchange Type insurance. So November 1st happens and we're proactive with our financial life, just like we encourage you to be. So we spent some time on it yesterday, which was November 1st. And oh my goodness, guys, there was a lot going on with the Affordable Care Act and going through healthcare.gov um, that I told Bo, I said, Bo, I feel like we're doing a disservice if we don't share with our listeners how to navigate this, how yeah. to do this better. Because if you come in this thing just thinking, you know what, I'm going to do this the tightwad way, and I'm just going to go for the lowest price. I'm going to type in my zip code. I'm going to type in you know, my family members, and then I'm going to go pull the cheapest price insurance. Guys, you might be shortchanging yourself. If you price this thing and you shop this completely off of price, I think you are blowing it because there is so much research that needs to go into your, your healthcare decisions that if you're not prepared, if you haven't done your homework, you're going to be shortchanged. So here's what we put together because I want to make sure that everybody is as effective at this as possible. The first thing I want to do, though, before we get into the planning steps, I want to go and remember what the Affordable Care Act, which has been nicknamed Obamacare, what it aspired to provide back in 2010 when this was signed into legislation. Here were the three things that it aspired to do. It, it, it aspired to um, provide access to health care, improving quality and lowering health care costs, and then finally, new consumer protections. Okay. Those were the three big things that happened. Now, by full disclosure, I think everybody's in agreement. There's been some road, some bumpiness. Sure. And, and we've seen that because I think now that we've, some of the subsidies have been removed from the marketplace, we're seeing some of the fallout on some of these insurers and you need to figure out how to navigate that. So here's the first tip that I have for you. 
make sure you do all of your homework before you even visit healthcare.gov. If you don't, if you just show up thinking you're going to allot 30 minutes to this and figure out some health insurance, you have gravely underestimated what is required to do a good job at figuring out your health insurance for 2017. So here's the first things you need to have. You need to have the names, dates of birth, and social security numbers for everyone in your family. Yep. You probably figured that. That's that makes sense. I think that's a given. I put that on there just so nobody would feel left behind when they got logged into to healthcare. But like, wait a minute, that went on Brian's list. So that, that's kind of a that's a check mark where you're going, okay, I got that one. That one's easy. The next thing is you need to understand your 2017, have an estimate of what your income will be. And the reason I share that you need to know that is because a lot of the way um, the Affordable Care Act was put out there was this is going to be an affordable option because there's going to be these tax credits that help offset what the cost of the insurance right. is. But but it is a sliding scale for an, a single individual. Once you exceed $47,520 of income, you no longer receive a subsidy on the individual side. Now, as you add two, three, four, five people to your household, it goes up. But for uh, to give you kind of an, an indicator of where things are, if you're a family of four, as soon as your income exceeds 97200 you no longer are eligible for a, a tax credit that will help offset the cost of um, the Affordable Care Act. Right. So you can know that when you're shopping the exchange. Um, here's the next step after knowing your income. is, And this is the biggest one. This is the one that I want you to focus and probably spend, you know, the 80-20 rule? Yeah. There's a fancy name for it. We did a podcast where we gave the fancy name. I, I can't even remember I what the I think that 80... one was the Pareto principle, wasn't it? It could be. It could have been. There was a bunch of names that I had to practice six times before we set them on the podcast. <laughs> but it, just remember the 80-20 rule. I think the first two things I told you should be the 20. This is where the 80% of your, your homework time should be spent on compiling a list of your primary care doctors, any specialists that you might be visiting in the coming year, as well as all the prescriptions for any and all of your family members that are going to be on this plan. I'm nervous that this will be the most under, uh, under-researched under piece for most people signing up uh, on the healthcare.gov website. Uh, and this will be the biggest shot for folks come January 1st. Yeah, and this is, we're nerds, so we hyper-focused. And I think, Bo, you picked on me because you're like, wow, you're really getting into this thing because I had a whole list and put it all out. But because of that, and the reaction of you saw when I found out some 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 of the hospitals we go to, some of the doctors we go to with my autistic daughter, I had a shock and awe type moment. I was like, "You got to be kidding me!" So you immediately start doing research, and you realize your family's impacted. Yeah, it hit us so, as well. So I'm telling you, if you are not doing research on this part, you're blowing it. Because here's the here's the good news. Before I get into this, this thing is so new, and the news media is covering it so. I mean, it's all over the place. I think it's even going to pick up steam because we're only on day two of the healthcare exchange being open. I think you still have the ability to impact your local marketplace if you make enough noise, if you energize, if you become an advocate like I share in a, in a little bit. But let me let me get back on point here. So you've got to compile a list of your primary care doctors, any specialists you're going to see, as well as all your prescriptions. And this is because this is what you need to figure out. The, and, and I give credit to the Affordable Care Act that it at least lets you type in that information. And then as you, it gives you the ability to try to compare policies. But in the past, there was a cautionary tell. Here's the way, if you go do a Google search on the Affordable Care Act, you can type in 2014, 2015, you know, there's always a cautionary tale just saying, hey, make sure you pay attention to the networks of each of 
the insurance companies because it wasn't uncommon back when Blue Cross Blue Shield was on the um, Tennessee network. They had a, a network S that had a lot of doctors in it. I can't remember the other. Yeah, I think two. there was like an E. There was a micro a network yeah. that a lot of people, there were some cautionary stories that were put out there in the press where people had signed up because they went for the cheapest insurance. And then they found out that none of their doctors, none of the hospitals that were near their house or in definitely no specialists were included in those micro networks. So you need to make sure that you understand the different networks that the different insurance companies are offering because you can have the same insurance company offering two, three different networks. And you need to ensure that your doctor isn't on those networks. Because here's the thing that's um, surprising about exchange insurance. A lot of you guys are probably, if you ever worked in a private company or a government and you had, you know, health insurance provided by your employer, you're used to there's two things. You have in-network and you have out-of-network. Mm-hmm. In-network is preferred because, you know, and, and you, that's the cheapest for you because that you're going to have a higher portion paid for by your insurance company. And then right. out-of-network, hey, it's more expensive, but you still get coverage usually without a network. Mm-hmm. That's not the case with Affordable Care Act. Realize out-of-network, nope, it's gone. Zero. Zilch. You're not getting anything towards out-of-network services. So you better understand the difference between in-network and out-of-network because it's not an uh uh-oh. It's a, oh my goodness, I can't believe I can't go see that provider anymore because I get zero protection. So that that's a big difference that you need to understand. You got to figure out the networks. So after you type in all the doctor's names, after you type in all the prescriptions, when you go to compare, it's going to tell you which doctors, like I know of mine, I typed in five separate doctors and it said, two of your doctors are covered. Two of your five are covered. And I was like, wait a minute. That's not a very good two, two out of five. That's not, that's not even greater than half. So I was pleasantly surprised though on two of them that I called the, this is what, this is my next tip for you. If the exchange website shows that your doctor is not covered, get on the phone. Because what we found was is that I called the actual doctor's offices. And I said, hey, look, the exchange is saying that you're not covered. Here's the, the, the policies I'm looking at. Is this true? And I, yeah, currently that's true. However, we recognize we're kind of caught off guard. We're scrambling. We recognize and we are mid-process now to being on this network as effective January 1st. So I found that out with two of the other in, in, doctor's offices. So like I said, two of the five were covered, leaving three that weren't. But when I called two of the uh, two of the the three that were not, two of them said, yes, by effective January 1st, we'll make sure that we're on this one. Now, I only had two insurance options. One of them was accepted. One of them wasn't. So that's why you need to make sure you're doing your homework and calling. Now, on that fifth one, I'm kind of freaking out about that one, to be honest with you guys. Well, I'll talk about that a little bit. Mm-hmm. And and that gets into the being an advocate for your family and making sure you're doing everything you can. But um, you got to make sure you get on the phone with those doctor's offices because the exchange is only going to show currently who is accepted under these plans. But they could be very much working behind the scenes, scrambling to get on the network. We've seen that with some of the hospitals we called yep, too, Bo. Right. So, so make sure you're paying attention to and get on the phone because you just can't assume what's on the website is perfect for you. That Your healthcare is way too important just to go with what the website's saying. Do your research and make sure you understand that. Here's the next thing. Kind of a, kind of disappointed in this one a little bit because I can't and we had a whole discussion. You're a little more cynical than I am, Bo. <laughs> um, this is this is a big tip too. Understand what health savings account HSA for short eligible means for you. And I did the eligible and rabbit ears. 
You guys have heard us do podcasts on how health savings accounts can be one of your best friends for the future. While we love health savings accounts is they do two things. They help you pay for your medical costs either today or in the future. And I love that they are triple tax advantage. I mean, these are one of these products, and this is where Bo's cynical and I'm not, is that the government makes these products triple tax advantage because they want to incentivize you on saving for your future and saving for your future medical costs. We know as the country grays and gets older, we need to have a pot of money to help us cover our potential out-of-pocket cost. So the government has created these health savings accounts many a number of years ago. I probably should have Wikipedia that to figure out what year health savings accounts came about. But here's the triple tax advantage. When you have a health savings account attached to a high deductible plan, you get to take a tax deduction on your current year contributions. For families, it's $6,750. So that means you get to lower your adjusted gross income by $6,750. You think about it, that potentially could be a tax savings of around $2,000. If you you take into account federal and state income taxes, a little under, was that, 170 bucks a month if you do a little rounding? That's pretty incredible um, that you can get that type of tax benefits. That's step one of the triple tax advantage. You get a tax deduction in current year. The layer two of the triple tax advantage is it grows completely tax deferred, meaning that it is growing without taxation on any appreciation, any dividends, any di- income that's going on. As long as that money that you put into your health savings account grows, no taxation is occurring while it's sitting in the account. Here's the third layer and really the knockout, which makes this thing an awesome savings tool for the future. If you use that money that grows in the future, for medical expenses, specifically, tax-free growth. And uh, we've shared this in our health savings account. There's a huge planning opportunity. I use health savings accounts where I am tracking every year what my medical expenses are. While I've had this health savings account, I'm storing all the EOBs, um, the, the statements of benefits, my receipts, and then I'm planning on getting reimbursement in the future. I'm not going ahead and filing for reimbursement right now. I'm going to wait a few years, get some compounding interest and growth on those accounts and then go do it. So these things are tremendous, tremendous tools for growing in the future and having resources for retirement as well as for medical expenses. Now, here's the other cool thing about them. And I'm not trying to go on too much of a sidebar. You don't, once you get to retirement age, you can actually use these things for retirement. You don't have to use them for medical expenses, but if you want them to be tax free, it needs to be medical expenses, but that's the triple tax advantage. So, Why am I disappointed? I just told you how great these health savings accounts are. Here's why I'm disappointed. The majority, the vast majority, it's not even close, of the insurance options on the um, Affordable Care Act exchange are not HSA eligible. I mean, I will tell you, give you a perfect example, 11 insurance plans are eligible for me. When I type in my zip code, put in all my personal information, I have 11 plans that are available to me, only two of them are HSA eligible. Yeah, but it should be pretty easy, right, Brian? I think for an individual, the deductible is like $1,300. So so long as I go and just make sure that my plan has at least the $1,300 deductible, I'm good, right? But here's the other thing. I couldn't believe it. I was like, this is almost, it's not dishonest, but it holy cow, is it confusing. We had this issue come up with a client recently. So you're out of pocket maximum. Realize Bo was talking about deductibles, but there's two things that go into determining eligibility 
You have deductibles for individuals, for family members, and then you have out-of-pocket minimums and maximums. The maximum for a family on out-of-pocket to be HSA eligible is 13100 Guess what they do on, on these non-eligible uh, plans that are a part of the exchange? They will have a $13,300 out-of-pocket maximum. We're like, wait a minute, that's only $200 off. Is that because there's an inflation increase or something? No, that is because they just didn't want it to be a health savings account eligible plan. And the, the thing is, the pricing on these these insurance policies is not much different. So if you're a person that doesn't recognize the power of the health savings account and making sure it's an eligible plan, then you're walking away from that $170 a month you could be getting through tax savings as well as the triple tax advantage ability to save for the future. So you're telling me that even if I say, no, I want to do a high deductible plan so that I'm HSA eligible, and I go pick a plan that has a $5,000 individual deductible, there's no guarantee that that's actually No, because they have plans that are $14,000 out-of-pocket limits. That sounds close. I mean, that's it's close, but we're not playing horseshoes. We're trying to figure out if you're HSA eligible. So how do you figure and how do you protect yourself? Here's the good news. Um, it's confusing. And I will tell you, they have structured these things where it is really – I had a hard time. There were some plans, guys. I thought, well, there, there's one. I went on the silver. And here's the, here's the difference between bronze, silver, and gold. Bronze is obviously going to be pretty bare bones on, you know, deductible. It's going to be high deductibles. It's going to be high out of pockets. And then in the co-share, once you exceed your deductible, it's going to be like a 50-50. And y'all know what that means is that once you reach your deductible on an individual or as a family, then you go into a co-share, co-insurance situation with the insurance company. Meaning that once you spent your $5,000, if that's your deductible, if you then have Another hundred dollars that comes in after the five thousand, you and the insurance company are going to spend that split that fifty fifty. If that's the coinsurance rates, fifty percent to you, fifty percent to the insurance company. We go up to silver, and it, they they change that cost that coinsurance number a good bit. Instead of it being a fifty fifty split, once you cross over your deductible, it might be an eighty twenty. Where once you cross that deductible, you're only paying twenty percent. The insurance company's paying eighty. And then when you get up to the gold, there's a lot more bells and whistles, including I've, I think there was even some copays and other things like that. And remember, no health savings account um, high deductible plan is eligible if you have copay. So if there's a, like a $40, $50, $60 copay at the doctor, you're not going to be a health savings account. That's an easy tell. But here's how you can tell because of the way they structured this. If you will go when you're on the health, sa- if you're on the, the exchange website and comparing, they will have a filter button. You can go up there when they have the 11 options up there. They will have a filter button so that you can then see, you know, get your limit, get your, your number from 11 down to what you want. And after you click on filter, I'm looking for the quote. It says that if you scroll down just a little bit, it'll have an end quote. It'll say, see plans with health savings account. So there'll be a checkbox that says, see plans with a health savings account. That's a quote. I pulled that directly off the exchange website. If you will check that box and then hit OK, it will then limit and tell you how many health savings account eligible plans you have. Now realize there might be a big enough price difference at the taxes, or maybe you're in a low tax bracket that maybe you don't care about the health savings account because you go use what, you know, you're not really saving this for retirement anyway, and you just need to get the best deal. So make sure you're running this both ways. But I do think it's a big, big deal that nobody is out there highlighting that most of these plans are not health savings account eligible. So pay attention to that guideline and it'll help you a lot. The last thing just to kind of close out the show was I said, go outside 
get outside help and be an advocate for you and your family. Um, I think the government recognizes there's some bumps in the road, so they've, they've loaded up. If you went on Twitter on November 1st, there was a lot of tweets from the local branches where you can go and get local help. And um, the website is, if you go to localhelp.healthcare.gov, you can type in your zip code. You can actually find in-person people that will help you kind of go through the benefits and know what's going on. And if you're so confused, I mean, take advantage of some of these resources. There's a lot of web research you can go out there and check into. But then here's the last part I was going to tell you. I was going to tell you to kind of be energized if you get disappointed. Like I found out, and this is where we are. Is it, like I said, we're here in Nashville. We found out that Vanderbilt, you know, everybody knows Vanderbilt. That's, you know, that's a nationally recognized presence. I mean, it's right. all, you know, it's a research hospital. It's a teaching hospital. I mean, world class in a lot of different areas. And, um, you know, we found out that there is not a single exchange insurance plan that is accepted by Vanderbilt. And it's not because we chose the wrong network. It's just there's not one that Vanderbilt is on. That freaks me out. It's a big we, deal. We found out also Williamson Medical, because there's another, you know, um, Nashville is made up of Davidson County, and then there's a, a little community, I mean, a county right below it called Williamson County. That's actually where a lot of people who, li- who work in Nashville live in Williamson County. That's where Franklin is. That's where Brentwood is. Really nice communities. And there's a, a hospital, really award-winning, good hospital, great doctors, really good doctors in this, this part of the country. It's called Williamson Medical. Well, the problem is, guess what? Williamson Medical also is not accepted by any of the exchange insurance companies. So I imagine if Nashville is struggling through this, it's probably happening in a lot of other places. So what have we done? We've actually tried to be proactive. We actually reached out to both Vanderbilt and to Williamson Medical. We found out we were pleasantly surprised to find out Williamson Medical is actively trying to get on the get with one or two of the insurance companies that's on the exchange. So that's a good thing. It looks like that's going to be addressed. However, Vanderbilt is not. So what have we done? We've gone and we've started writing our our local elected, I mean our US elected officials, our, our House of Representatives officials. We've also reached out to the local media. We knew that the local media would probably have an appetite for this type of stuff because let's face it, this is important. This is your health. This is decisions that impact your well-being on a day-to-day basis. So this is very important. You don't want to leave it out there. So um we're actually taking the fight or the discussion. I don't want to say fight's so negative. I like discussion. We're taking the discussion to the local media and others because I I'm hopeful because we're so early in the process. Remember, this is a 90-day process from November all the way through the end of January that everybody's still trying to figure this out and they're scrambling around that maybe if you can advocate, and like I am, trying to talk to the local media and see if we can get things, and we'll keep you posted if you go on moneyguy.com and subscribe to Twitter and other things when um, if there is any media that comes from this as we're talking to our local um, media side. We'll, we'll share it with you guys on social media. So go make sure you're, you're connecting with us on Twitter and so forth. But be proactive, guys, because I don't think that this is settled. This is not in stone. Don't be one of those people that just accepts the world for what it is. You guys attack your financial life because you plan ahead. You do things early. You make sure that you're making the right decisions for your family. Do the same thing on your health care. You need to be proactive. You need to go out there and make sure you are educated, aware. And then if it's not right, if there's something where it is not being treated appropriately, like you find out two of the biggest world-class providers are not even on your network, Go take action, guys. 
And I don't mean to, you know, rah, rah, cheer, cheer, but I, I feel like that we have to get everybody inspired to be proactive because the same mentality that makes you successful so you can, you know, I can borrow from Dave Ramsey and say we can live like no one else in the future because we've lived like no one else in the past. It's the same type of attitude you have to take with your health care. It's the same attitude you have to take with your election. You know, it, you just make sure you're, pro, you're, you're tied in and you're connected with the world that's around you and that you're preparing for any contingency that could come your way. That's what we work for. That's what we try to do for our clients. That's what we try to do for our listeners. We've recognized the more generous, the more I give you, the more successful you guys are. And guess what? The more successful you are, the more of you that end up. It didn't start this way. We started this as a passion project just because we wanted to educate. But we've realized the side benefit to making you guys monsters of success is that you, a few of you reach out to us and want to work with us. So I would just encourage you, if you've decided, if you listen to this show, you like what you hear and you want to graduate the relationship to the next level, reach out to us. You can reach out to me. I'm Brian, B-R-I-N at moneyguy.com. My co-host, Mr. Bo Hansen, B-O at moneyguy.com. Or just go check us out at moneyguy.com. We've got really cool things coming out. January 1st, I'm going to have some websites to show you guys, not on the Money Guy side, but on the firm side of things. We'll, can't wait to get y'all's attention, your thoughts. I mean, really cool stuff going on. And um, we'll share this. I, I, I get ahead of myself. Like I, I've already had a few of you reach out and say, hey, I can't wait to come see you in Franklin, Tennessee, downtown Franklin, because we do have office space we'll have there. But here's the thing. I failed to mention, we're not moving into the downtown Franklin space until March, guys. So it will be coming. We will have some type of interaction opportunity with the money guy team here. But um, unfortunately, the real estate market is so white hot here in Nashville and Franklin that um, we had to go ahead and lock down office space six months in advance just because it's that hard to get real estate here. So thank you for at least peaking and showing you have interest and coming in, connecting with us. And um, I just, I can't thank you enough for all the comments on iTunes, for listening to us. However you're receiving us, we appreciate it. I just hope you'll continue to to follow us, go out there and connect on, on our website by giving us your email address, and we will keep creating content. That's what we do. That's what we're passionate about. I'm your host, Brian Preston. I'll talk to you in two weeks. The Money Guy podcast is hosted by Brian Preston, and Brian Preston is a partner with Preston & Cleveland Wealth Management. Preston & Cleveland Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with securities laws and regulations. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Money Guy podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice.